Faith and Fable, a pastoral podcast that discusses common and often controversial topics from a biblical perspective. My name is Matt Miller. I'm Matt Henry. And I'm Grayson Gilbert. <laughs> he's back. <laughs> and we're go- he's back because we're going to do another hot topic. Yep. Hot takes on... Hot topics. <laughs> it looks cool on the outside and then burns your mouth on the inside. Sorry, sick for hours. <laughs> if you guys could Is that see how that. it works. Hot. Haven't you ever had a hot pocket? You get it out of the microwave and it seems all simple and oh. unassuming. Then you bite and it's like molten lava on the inside. It's like the finest American cuisine we have. Yeah. It, it, honestly, afterward, you end up with the blisters on the roof of your mouth and you've never had that? Oh, no, I've had it. Yeah. Yeah. And then you can't, your tongue can't leave it alone. The fun thing is when you give it to the kids. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, that's, that's harsh because some of them are too dumb to take it out of their mouth. <laughs> and you're like, just spit it out. <laughs> and I can't. <laughs> oh, anyhow, Grayson is one of the pastors here at our, my church, uh, Miss Day. You have your own church now, don't you? Mm-hmm. Divine Community Church. That's with the V. Yeah, it still sounds like divine. That's why I have to overpronounce it now. The vine, or say the vine. No, that'd still be still divine. Yeah, that was really bad decision making. Whoever chose that. Name. Well, let me give a little history here. <laughs> People wonder how we got this name. It is literally. So we had a. We had like. 10 names. Oh, and, really? Yeah. And this is the only one that was like available in Wisconsin. Really? Mm-hmm. We actually stole ours. Te- well, no, our the old church uh, that we replanted from, Temple Baptist, um, members of your church, father was a pastor. And then when they moved their church into the town uh, up there in Milwaukee, they couldn't have it be Temple Baptist anymore. They used to be Temple Baptist. Oh, really? Yeah, because of some incorporation rule. So they had to come up with something else. We had we had this one, Missio Day. We had a couple of other names when the church was voting on it. I remember that. And then we had a bit of an uprising where we were told that by some that they didn't feel like we had given them sufficient opportunity to weigh in. And so then we got some more names tossed in, and some of them were just really, you're like, <laughs> mm-hmm. I sure hope that doesn't win. Um, and uh, fortunately, it was like the Church of the Descending Dove <laughs> of John Calvin. Or something. You're like, yeah. no. <laughs> no, we're not, no. No, that won't fit on our sign. <laughs> Anyhow. Yeah, we had quite a few. They just this is all that was it. So let's I'm like, talk- well, that, that, that makes our decision for us. So, Well, let's talk logos. How long are you going to keep your logo? Oh, I love our logo. Grayson, hey. Grayson made it for us. I did. I've, I've, I've had nothing but excellent feedback. We have three. We have been 10 years, I guess, right? 
Monsieur Day? Yeah. Well, and no, we've gone through you're three. Than that now. Twelve or thirteen, but our our we have the original logo out in our sign, and then I I just got told by somebody that my PowerPoint that I showed had our second logo, the triangle. Yeah, the triangle, and then now we have the three arrows heading somewhere. The chevrons. <laughs> Chevron. Yeah. That's what I'll go. With. I'll call it. This is stuff you're not told in seminary. Is that the bulk of your time is going to be down <laughs> dealing with logos? I like our logo. I think it looks really good on our, it is. our it, app. Grayson's actually a gifted uh, graphic artist, and for a small fortune, he'll do yours. Yeah, sixty thousand dollars an hour. <laughs> but it's worth it. <laughs> Anyhow, we're doing hot topics. Well, we're doing hot topics because weirdly, I think this that last one we did had. Some of the most feedback I've heard in a long time. Yeah, it was weird. People loved it. Well, they accepted it. And commented on it. Yeah. We don't know if it was helpful. <laughs> <laughs> so we thought we would do it again. And we've, we have more topics. Well, the sad thing is the, the American church never ceases to amaze me at how stupid it can be. Hmm. I mean... Yeah, there's no shortage of controversy. I'm, I'm just thinking about like the woke preacher clips. I don't know who does that. Does anyone know who does woke preacher clips? No. I've interacted I hope, with the I guy. I hope he's making money. I don't think he is. I think he's just doing a fine service to mankind. It really is a, a fine. It really, do you ever watch any of his clips? Uh, yeah. I Well, yeah, I recently f- stumbled upon it. Yeah, I just watched one while you guys were putzing around. I couldn't have the sound on, but with the subtitles and some guy down in Austin basically saying, if you uh, if you have a church that's homogenous, then you are not truly knowing God. Hmm. You're, only, you're only loving an extension of yourself. I'm like, okay, thank you very much. You know, but anyhow, there's always something. Um, so we're going to just go through and... Talk. We have don't we have like some vague crib notes here, but well, you want to get the first one? Yeah. Well, we're going to start off what with the same guy we did before because he continues. You, are you intrigued by him? I am. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm not intrigued by him. It's we're going to talk about Kanye, but he definitely has changed his name <laughs> to Ye. He's no. legally changed it to I guess it's Ye. Yeah, it's got to be yay. See, I thought at first it was ye, and that he was just becoming a King James onlyist. <laughs> Did you really think that? <laughs> no, I'm, a, I'm making a terrible joke. Oh, I'm like, wow, I could see that. Um, so, see, I'm that dummy that would fall right <laughs> into it. Oh, tell me more. <laughs> um, it, name his kid Thou. <laughs> Anywho. <laughs> Keep moving with this. Come on. <laughs> so, anyhow, Kanye, he's back in the news. Um well, again, the thing that intrigued me about him is not him. My, I, to be honest, uh, there's a. I mean, I don't know the man, but there's a aspect of heartbreak um, because you're watching again just some just frustrating, sad, unnecessary things. But um, you know, is he in Christ? Is he not? I don't know. But he's going through now a nasty, nasty divorce. And then he decided to use social media to complain that his wife has effectively shut him out of uh, his birthday party, and then he showed up. But um, 
then, then there's a leaked song. He's got a song, a new song called My Life Was Never Easy. And he says this. He says, God saved me from the crash just so I can beat Pete Davidson's bleep. Um, and, and apparently Pete Davidson is the guy having the affair with his wife. And I'm like, yeah, I don't think that's why God saved you from the crash. But and then he's out making out with some woman in the public. And, and so I, I, in my mind, I just went back through when I used to be part of the Reform Pub and how they were all just exploding about, this is awesome, this is great, and blah, blah, blah. And, and ours was a much more tepid response, if you remember, Matt, was, you know what, the best thing you can do is back down from the public. It's not like he needs money mm-hmm. and be discipled. You know, grow, um, because his fame is not what Christ needs. Christ doesn't need his voice to push. You guys got thoughts? I mean, not about just the garbage he's doing, but you're going to literally. I, 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 I have no thoughts about Kanye. I, I, other than, I guess, I would agree with you. It's sad. I mean, it's unfortunate he well, decides to make it how public. How about the bigger issue of just well, our, our, our ongoing propensity to push a celebrity kind of concept of, yeah. of the Christian faith. How about you, Grayson? I, I've got a whole lot of issues with that. Um, what I tend to see it as is this big kind of flash in the pan thing where everybody gets, uh, like you said, they get real excited over the fact that this celebrity has now come to Christ as if that's somehow going to make make or break evangelicalism, right? You know, all of, a, all of a sudden this guy comes to faith and now he can climb in the spotlight to do great things for Christ. And I mean, there's... There's things behind it where I'm like, okay, why are you not excited to go and be evangelistic to your neighbor, right? Like, does God not get the glory and praise for when he comes to faith? And I think it, I don't know, I think it speaks to the fact, for one, we're married deeply with that whole celebrity culture in the States as it is. And so when we have our own little kind of evangelical popes that are climbing into the spotlight, we do much the same thing where everybody gets excited over it. But the sad thing to me is that they somehow think that that is how God is going to explode the church, right? So in order for evangelicalism or, you know, the Reformed faith, if you will, to take hold in anything, they've got to have some celebrity figure to do it instead of people just kind of getting off their butts and being faithful. Well, yeah. it is interesting how, how Jesus went to the no-names, right? I literally brought up a couple of texts to just quote on oh, that. Go ahead. Yeah, <laughs> And th- that's how he's going to launch his movement. His worldwide oh, the disciples and, movement. Yeah, yeah, he went to some fishermen, and he wasn't going to the political elites or the societal elites, but he goes to the nothings. I made that point, actually, in a sermon a couple couple of weeks ago, um, where the Sanhedrin, they're, they're saying, these guys are uneducated, and, and they're offended because they're the ones attracting people, seeing miracles occur, and, and this growth is happening, and, and just... Again, how he he uses the weak to confound the wise and and the mighty. And uh, the passage I actually went to was Matthew eleven eleven. He says, "Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there is not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist." Bam, right? Yet he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And I'm like that. We keep wanting to push the. I mean, I don't know anybody. I don't watch any professional sports anymore. I've completely cut myself from, from it. 
but apparently there's a couple of uh, football players who have been somewhat outspoken. You guys know of any of that? I don't. Um, and and have said some things publicly. And again, it just blitzes across the Christian social media pages. And I'm, I'm just like, that's not where it's at, though, guys. That's just not. So what you said, why don't you just go witness to your neighbor? And... Um, and then, and then I keep thinking of your sermon on the soils. How many, how many, how many sermons did you preach on the parable of the soils? Was that three or four, or two? Uh, three or four. But again, you, the word is planted, and and it appears to take root, but only over time. Mm-hmm. And and that's all I would say. I, I wouldn't write Kanye off mm-hmm. or Yay or whatever we're supposed to call him, like he cares. Um, I I just think time will tell. And and what I notice though is that the news is no longer about him um, doing the Sunday services and and stuff like that. All of that is I, I had to search hard to find anything. It's all about right now the latest gossip, and uh, I just think it's a shame. I I, I I only bring them up not to gossip monger as much as just say. Among us three, we're not impressed. We're not impressed with that celebrity culture, and and we encourage all of you guys to think about. Okay, next topic, Canada. You passed that law. Conversion therapy is now illegal. Yeah, what was it, C4? Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah, something like that, but you can't do it, but it's written exceedingly broad language. Um, that would include professionals, un, non-professionals, um, pastors. So MacArthur, my old pastor, John MacArthur, he put out a call for on January 16th for pe- the pastors to preach on biblical spiritual uh, sexuality, and thousands mm-hmm. took them up. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't, um, but I, I wrote a, uh, a thing to read to the whole congregation because I knew that some of them were aware of that. I didn't want them to think that we were shying from it, but and expressly stated our understanding of biblical spirit, uh, sexuality. But um, your thoughts on that? What do you what do you think about how, what, if you were up in Canada? What would you guys do or think you would do? It's hard to know. Yeah. Well, I would like to think that I would um, remain faithful. I mean, yeah. you can't negotiate on the truth, and your call is your call, and you got to preach it, you got to teach it, you got to counsel with it, and I mean, if, if you're going to be a faithful pastor, I don't think you, there's much you can change. I mean, maybe you can be wise about how you go about it. I'm, I'm not certain how, if you're just, I mean, if you're going to take the social media, and that's going to be your raising of your fist against the government, I don't think that's... You're going to be like John the Baptist. You can get your head chopped off. <laughs> you know. Actually, that's interesting you brought John the Baptist because um, I've always thought about him. He, he took an unbending stand on uh, sexual purity and got his head cut off for mm-hmm. it. Well, first jailed and then killed. Um, and I, I think that I think still in like America, people – like even when John MacArthur took the stand with the masking and the closing of the church, and he's like, look, I just showed up at church to preach my sermon that we were going to broadcast, and people came. It's not like we're telling them to come. <laughs> and, um, and they were threatening to jail them. And, 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 of course, they backed down. Uh, I think that was wise 
uh, to back down from jailing an 80, what, 82-year-old man. But um, I think that's how Americans kind of think it will always turn out when if you take the hard stand, right? Yep. You, they, it's a victory. Um, but the reality is John could have just as easily been jailed. Um, and so how, how would you, how would you guys approach it wisely if you were there? Because like I said, we can raise a fist over social media, but mm -hmm. what would you, what do you think is unhelpful? Well, I, I mean, I don't know. I don't, I, I tend to think that's one of those things where if and when we are in it, we'll figure it out. It's, it's hard to be outside the box and it's easy to speak objectively. Here's what I would do, you know? Um, and some of those things, I think they're forged out of the crisis when you're in it and you just got to do it. Um, I, I tend to think that I would, in terms of offering counsel, because uh, a lot of the issues are what, you know, when you bring someone into your office for counseling, you can't bring the Bible to bear on it because it's considered a quote, conversion therapy. Right. Um, I tend to think that I would just offer counsel to members um, because presumably they're people believing the Bible anyway, but I, I would not be having some broad ministry where I'm inviting the whole culture in for counseling and trying to reach them via biblical counseling or something like that. Well, we're actually on the hot topic list is a church in Lafayette, Indiana, right. and, and they actually grew very large through having a biblical counseling ministry offered to the general public at, who t took them up, and they actually passed a local ordinance that's very similar to the uh, Canadian law, and um, and so they're facing that conundrum of it. What do you think? Well, I mean, I, again, I know this is new, and, and I'm asking you kind of off the cuff, so it's unfair. Well, I mean, I'm not even a full-fledged pastor of my own church at this point, so for me, it's like it's very much in, a th in the ethereal realm, right? I can, I can speculate all day long on what I would do or could do. Um, well, what would you like to do? What, what I would like to do. I mean, those, <laughs> those could even be do. two different things. I mean, <laughs> what I'd like to do is just blast everybody, but that's not, <laughs> I, I recognize there's not necessarily wisdom in that. Um, I think, truthfully speaking, it would be much in line with kind of what Matt said, but you know, it's like the the first and foremost job of the shepherd is their own local church, and so that's a good point. I, th I think I would think along those lines of just saying, uh, in my own local context, how am I being faithful as a minister of the gospel first and foremost? But how am I feeding my sheep, uh, rather than how am I looking and somehow trying to put my fingers in the webs of some other churches or whatever the case might be? It's like at the end of the day, I'm held accountable for, you know, my own flock, and so that would. That would pretty much dictate everything that I would do. Um, I'd still be faithfully preaching. I'd still be going through expositionally and not exactly, it's not like you shy away from those things when they come up in the text, especially if you do that. But I mean, I, I wouldn't be taking to social media to rally the troops, if you will. I, well, I, I, yeah, um, exactly. Which is kind of my idea behind my statement of I'd offer counsel to members because mm -hmm. uh, they're the ones for whom you're responsible. Uh, I also think it exposes a little bit of how we've approached evangelism in that we've tried to get at it morally um, hmm. by addressing these sexual issues and things like that versus it really truly is purely the gospel that transforms and those other things then fall in place now when you begin to teach. 
Um, and so instead of going to an unconverted person and preaching on, well, you're unhappy because you're acting contrary to God's design. It's like, yeah, that, that's a true statement, but I'm not certain how it affects the heart hmm. um, versus purely the gospel is what affects the heart. And then sanctification is what follows, which I would clump a right understanding of sexuality yep. under sanctification. Um, and so now you're beginning to teach, but they're now presumably members of your church. And now you can offer them counsel that way. Um, so yeah, that, that would be my approach. What about you? Well, so I just made three quick notes because I really like the way you both said that. Um, so I'm going to actually preach a search on search, a sermon on Lord willing on um, the sixth when I'm back, and it's it's going to be what I, I I don't think I said well last sermon. Um, out of uh, Acts six, where you know the feeding of the widows were overlooked, and and I talked about how uh, ministry priorities kicked in, that the apostles immediately recognized that this is an issue, but it's a threat to what we're called to do. We're called to the ministry of prayer, the Word of God, and so they were immediately recognized. Okay, it's a legitimate concern, but we can't deal with this, and dealt with it that way. And learning to develop non-negotiables in our in our minds, and I, th I think that that's one of the things that, like you 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 were you were saying, your pastoral work is kind of in the ethereal world. You are a pastor now with the church, and you're definitely jumped in with both feet. But it's not your own church, right? I mean, once you get a church planted, yeah, you'll go through some. In fact, Matt, I don't know if you would even feel comfortable sharing with the people just kind of maybe some of your thoughts or feelings of what it was like all of a sudden, wow, it's happened. I mean, we're on our own completely. But I, I just remember 25 years ago what I felt like, and it's like every decision I make now is affecting not just me but this entire church, my family, I mean, in a major way. And, it, and so if you don't have certain non-negotiables, in place where you've already worked these things out, then something like that comes and it becomes very easy to become wimpy because, you know, you're, you're carried along by the event. Um, but I agree, pastor or flock, that's, that's so simple, isn't it? Which then goes into, I would disengage completely from social media at that point, completely, because I think that too much of the quote-unquote Christian faith and Christian work of pastors today is still trying to be done through some social media process rather than the unpleasant, unsexy sitting there in your office discipling a man, right? Meeting with a couple, talking to a young person. Um, and, we, and we fool ourselves into, hey, we got a bunch of likes, we got a lot of follows, whatever, that somehow we're actually impacting well, and I wonder how much of that is even tied to that. I mean, what we talked about to begin with is that celebrity mm -hmm. Christian mentality, right? Right. I mean, that's that's part of why Mark Driscoll's church imploded is because he made statements like, you know, we're he's a pastor not to just his own local church, but he's a pastor to all these other people he's never even met before. Right. Exactly. So I would just break away and and worry about my church and what what the Lord providentially brings into my church. Um, and then lastly, about that counseling thing, um, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, uh, famous pastor, he had a rule. If you came to his church and you wanted pastoral counsel, he refused to do any counseling 
until you had attended faithfully for six months. And then he said, if you still need counsel, and he, and he said that like 95% of the people never sought counsel because what they were hearing was the gospel. They came to faith or they were hearing the word of God and their faith grew and stabilized and the problem itself became resolved. And I think that's another thing. Some guy comes in because you can, you can picture um, militant transgender group that says, we're going to target the churches of our community and we're going to silence them. And you bring it in and, hey, I just need their fake crying and everything else. And you're like, ooh, ooh, ooh. Um, just to look at them and say, great, you're welcome to come. You're welcome to hear, listen, and uh, we'll talk to you in six yeah. months. Yeah, and it's also the power of a, of a growing church. Um, and I don't mean in numbers. I mean in maturity. Uh, where they're being firmly established in the truth, is the people of the congregation, as they interact with new folks who come in, they end up informally doing so much counseling and teaching anyway yeah. that rarely does it even get to your office. Yeah, and I agree. So they're entering a whole culture and milieu. And right. That's the thing is, you know, it's hard. It's one thing to come in for a couple of weeks or spend six months, but you only show up once every four weeks. But if you're going to come for six solid months and you're going to get invited to people's houses, and, and you're going to talk and watch and observe. Um, the power of, of changed lives through the gospel is, I think, pretty powerful. And I think that's what I would do if I was there. I think it's coming. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll see. Any other comments on that? Would you, would you be willing to talk about, or would you prefer not to? Um, just anything that stands out now that as you're on your own? You have your own elder board, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm willing to. What? So, well, well, well <laughs> did, what do you, can you ask it, me? A, I don't even know how to ask it. I mean, because it's such a personal. I mean, it really is a personal. I, um, I felt alone. Okay, that's that. I left Grace Community Church, and we came up where everyone thought like I did. <laughs> you know, I mean, you had you had great-grandfathers and grandmothers going to church with their great-grandchildren, you know? And so you had this multiple generation, and you saw it. And so there was just a oneness. I, I think in many ways what Missio Day Fellowship has become, that there's this oneness of thinking, whereas I came in here and I realized I really am alone. And I like, you know, you like to think that you know everything. Um, I mean, you did seminary and everything else, but it was— it was scary, you know. You 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 know it's it's on you. Mm-hmm. I, I guess that's what hit me hard was I'm walking through the building and I'm already starting to get questions, and they're stupid questions. I mean, it's like you know about painting a wall, and but but you realize I got to make all these decisions and and deal with them, and I gotta I we're not we don't have enough money, and I got. Families in crisis, and you all of a sudden. And does that make sense? I don't know if I'm making sense. Yeah, I'm just saying. For me, I felt alone. Yeah, there is an aspect of that. Or vulnerable. Maybe that's Um, a better word. I felt very much out there. Yeah, it's nice sitting under John MacArthur. Let's just say that that's a nice, safe place. You know, he's the one taking all the hits. Mm -hmm. You know. Yeah, well, I mean, now that we're our own church, there, I, I was telling you, there's no one to appeal to right? at this point. It's just me. 
you know, and um, no one thinks like me either. You know, I mean, I have and, elders. And, and you don't mean that in a negative way. No, no, no. Way. I have elders, and they're good men. And otherwise, it, we wouldn't have installed them. Um, but they're men. They're trustworthy, and the people of the church love them. Um, but you still just think different as pastor. And I mean, you're always thinking as pastor. And I don't think people appreciate that, though. That you do. You can't turn it off, can you? Never. Um, I mean, you wake up. You're immediately having thoughts. You're yep. in the shower. You're having thoughts. You're going to bed. You're having thoughts. You're driving in your car. You're having thoughts. And, and it's not a burden. It's not no, like evil. No. It's just. But it is what it is. Yeah. And and but but there's no one else that, that does that but you. And and by na- by nature you are. I mean, because you are the paid pastor, and that's your job and your life. And um, so in that sense, you are alone. I am thankful that I don't have the same experience necessarily that you perhaps had um, because there is so many like-minded yeah. people at the church theologically and for the most part philosophically that I'm not on my own trying to turn a ship around. Um, we're all on the ship and generally all headed in the same direction already. I, I, I would agree with you is that I, there is a level of envy I had for you uh, or with you or whatever the right preposition would be. Um, because you're right. I, I just to use that metaphor. Then you know, there you you had a ship, and you're and it was sailing. And the people coming in are not getting on a ship heading the wrong way. And now you got more people that you got to help turn the ship around. They're just being added. Uh, yeah, they're coming into an established. I don't know what the right word is. Culture, church, or whatever. Yeah, that's solid. You're not trying to necessarily build it with them, like so many church planners have to do. They go and meet someone in the coffee shop. They share Christ with them. Hey, let's plant a church. <laughs> and now you're trying to build it, but you're all over the map. There's no yeah. doctrine been laid down, no philosophy of ministry laid down. And and it's why so many church plants can go so bad. Um, but here, I don't have that. And the, all the people we planted with are solid people. Yeah. Um, and I'm thankful for all of them. Um, and now people are coming in and they're... They're coming into a church versus just trying this new thing and seeing how it works out. I uh, I remember on my fifth anniversary they had a a, a dinner uh, thingy for us, and so we went in and we we're talking to the people, and then they got up a bunch of different people to get up and share thoughts, and one of them was an elder, and I, this is the first time I ever heard this from him. So I hear I labored with this guy. Uh, for five years, and I never heard this. <laughs> and he got up, and he's like, "When Matt came, um, he he said it was it was quite a change." And he's like, "Because it was very bothersome, because he had a habit of every time we talked about anything, and we needed decisions or we wanted to talk about, he would always start his sentences with the Bible says," and he's like, "It was annoying." And it was frustrating to deal with because it's like, well, okay, but what do you think? And he kept on going back, this is what the Bible says. And he's and he laughed. He's like, it sounds strange now to say that. But he's like, for the first few years, and I'm thinking, it's only been five. He's like, it was foreign to him. And that's when it struck me I that I really didn't even know how strange it was for me to walk into there and how different my thinking was of some at least at the church so appreciate you 
saying it. It's 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 weird, isn't it? Yeah, and it and I'm used to working with um, elders that have been working together for a long time, and now they're all new, and yes, they're we're having to establish a culture among us, and and it's good. I mean, they're they're both good men, and I love them. Um, but it's just different. Whereas uh, you and I are very mm-hmm. like-minded in so many things. Um, yeah. Not that they're not, but uh, we have to learn each other, and it's just part of the process. Well, and and our our elder here, John, um, has been doing this now for so long. Again, you. I, the nice thing is, if I have to go and dump on him, mm-hmm. and he's always been a faithful uh, sounding board, but I never feel like I'm speaking. Martianese to him or something, you know, <laughs> yeah. and he, he, you know, he's, he's tracking, uh, he carries similar convictions and, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Okay. Next topic. What all the chaos going on at Bethlehem Baptist. Again, we don't want to get into the gossip stuff per se, but, uh, Bethlehem Baptist, John Piper's church, he resigned, uh, retired, whatever you want to call, uh, brought on Jason Myers, Jason Myers has since resigned, um, and a couple of other elders, I believe, have resigned, and there's this whole turmoil. And then our friend Julie Royce, who loves to stir these things up, is now doing podcasts and or whatever you, her radio show is, uh, and she's bringing on people who are the disadvantaged or the disaffected, uh, hurt, the people who left, and they're telling their story. Um, any thoughts on just what's going on? Just any takeaways or? Yeah, I, I, I do have some. I, she, I feel like I have a bone to pick with Julie Royce. Yeah, I don't have well, we both a do. lot of care for her ministry, if we can call it that. Yeah. Um, Why? Because it's not the church. And Ooh, and oh, she's good, good. She, she's she's trying to save evangelicalism and and she's got a problem with authority figures clearly, um, and it accuses them of the very things that she seeks to do, such as have a messiah complex. Um, but she's out there trying to save evangelicalism from all the bad oppressors and pastors. And I'm not saying there's not bad pastors. Of course there are. I'm, I'm not saying there's no pastors that are misusing their authority and abusing people. Yes, that's true. But um, she, she had these people on. Um, and the, the, heart of, the heart of the issue was um, accusations against Andy Nacelli. Yeah, yeah. But- who is a professor at Bethlehem Seminary uh, and an elder. Um, is he an elder? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that makes sense. So there, there was a couple that brought a motion forward. Um, you know, they had a racial harmony task force. Yep. And so that was part of it. But the, the crux that of the issue. That all happened, I think, because of the George Floyd situation. Yeah. yeah. And the, which makes, I mean, they're in Minnesota. Um, Minneapolis. <laughs> you're right. Um, the, the, the crux of the issue though that as to, according to that interview was th- this Rigney Wilson episode oh, man on rampant empathy. on empathy the sin of empathy the differences between empathy and sympathy which i really really liked what Rigney and Wilson had to say well can you for the, those who haven't heard it can you give a just a quick 
You yeah. know about that? Um, yes. Do you know actually the ins and outs of it? Because I don't. I never sat down to listen to it. So you're actually going to tell me. A yeah. Bit. So um, their big their issue was with this this idea of empathy and how it's a relatively new term um, that has risen out of psychology. Um, and essentially, the issue is what is the distinction between sympathy and empathy? They made a nice illustration. Empathy is if someone's down in the quicksand, um, you should jump in both feet and essentially hug the person and just kind of feel what they're feeling. And uh, that's how you can really minister to them. Would where, you say that's a good? Oh, yeah. That, I mean, they, they give that verbatim. Where, oh, where, that, yeah, that that's is the, the illustration. illustration. Whereas sympathy is you, you still have one foot on sure ground. You might stick your other in so you can reach out your hand to grab them, but the goal is to get them out. Um, Rather than just, just feel their pain. Feel yeah. it, and then you both drown together. Um, and that's the idea of, that's why Jesus is our sympathetic high priest. He didn't become us. He was still fully God and sinless, and so he was able to rescue us. Um, but that whole idea of now, just be a friend, just listen, just feel my pain. That's all I want from you. That's how you're going to be the greatest minister to me. It's just bad. Um, it's bad you, thinking. Uh, real quickly, if you guys don't know what we're talking about here, um, go watch Woke Preacher Clips and you're going to see <laughs> that, right? I mean, it's really all about empathy. You can't, you can't speak to an issue. You need to shut up and just listen. Yep. The moment you speak to an issue, you now have taken on a Messiah complex where you're going to rescue them out. And the underlying presumption there is you can't truly rescue someone unless you're fully feeling and experiencing what they're feeling and experiencing. Uh, problem though, is you'll just drown with them. Um, so they, they, they took exception to that. I think it was well stated. Um, women in the church took issue with that. They thought that that was actually an attack against women in certain ways. And I don't know how they got there. That wasn't all explained. Um, but essentially then this woman brought it to the elders. They said, look at, don't bring this up as emotion. Cause what she wanted was Joe Rigney's a professor at Bethlehem. And well, he's the president. Now he is, yeah. And they said, look, at, we want his statements separated from the official positions and statements of the church. Hmm. Um, and so the pastor said, don't do that. You'll create division. This is a campus issue, not a church-wide issue. Uh, so she made a motion during a time in which a church-wide thing was happening and basically just went at it against the elders' council. And so Nacelli stood up and said, if this motion passes, I resign. I mean, he just went full nuclear. Um, was that the best thing to say? Yeah. Who knows? Um, so it, this thing has developed over the year and uh, a lot of back and forth with Nacelli and her and elder council. And the short of the long is no. Uh, she wanted Andy to offer seek her forgiveness. He said, look, I'm sorry that you're offended. But that At was that, not, I'll apologize. Right. But I didn't sin against you. Nor was it, he, his argument is, I, there was no intent here mm -hmm. to harm you or right. do harm or slander or anything. So it'd be unjust to seek forgiveness for sin not committed, was his point. And, but she wants this. What do you think about his point? Either one of you. Um. Which one? I, I, about, can, I refuse to seek forgiveness on something I don't believe I've sinned. I don't think there's an, anything inherently wrong with that. It's, I mean, the whole idea of forgiveness is on the actual account of sin. 
right? So if I haven't sinned, right. why would I seek forgiveness? And I don't mean that in any kind of nasty, prideful way as if like sometimes you can't fall on your sword, but the whole concept of it is that there's been actual wrong committed and therefore actual restitution has to take place. Yeah. Okay. So I, I, I was on, I, I worked at Grace Community Church, big church, bigger than Piper's. Um, and I know that there are times where people would not seek forgiveness because they did not believe there was a sin that they had done. But they also recognized that they were a position of authority, a pastor or something like that, or an elder. And by doing that, if they sought forgiveness, it would set a precedent that then opened a whole floodgate of other accusations that can come in. And while well, he sought forgiveness here, what about here and here? And wasn't willing to do that. Um, and I, I, I actually applaud him. Now, I'm, I'm not part of this process, but I think he's very wise in saying no, because he recognized that this is only the presenting issue. There's a deeper underlying issue of what constitutes sin, because there were complaints against Nacelli that he was uh, he created a toxic um, work uh, classroom environment. Mm-hmm. Apparently, somebody disagreed with his theology on theological point in his lectures, took issue at they had a back and forth, and ultimately it came down to the guy just didn't like what Nacelli argued the scripture was teaching. They came to an impasse where mm-hmm. it was clear the student and him didn't agree, and he just said, you need to drop it. Basically, that's, you, you need to drop it and move on, and the guy wouldn't drop it. And he basically told him, you know, I, I, I can't remember how it was, but it was, you're going to get removed from this class or I'll flunk you, but... And, and that was this domineering, patriarchal, oppressive kind of attitude that speaks of that's not humble servant leadership mm-hmm. and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, no, that's called seminary. But I thought, once again, this is why seminaries are doomed to fail at some point, yeah. because you've got all of these people coming up and, and they actually feel like just because they don't agree with you that until they are satisfied, but they're never going to be mm-hmm. because you are you don't agree with them, uh, that you have to give them a voice as if it's valid. And it's like, no, there's good theology and bad theology, and I'm the professor and you're not, and you've come in and, and there's an implied contract, right? Uh, anybody that wants to come in and be discipled by me and then start arguing with me will probably have a very short relationship. Uh, <laughs> But but again, there it is. Uh, you know, charges of because uh, I read a lot of their that same people yeah. listing Nacelli's failed qualities as a an elder. But it's like I don't think I think you've glommed on to just one side idea of what humility looks like. That humility is bound up in Christ, and Christ had no problem speaking firmly, mm-hmm. uh, very firmly, when he needed to be. Well, I I like uh, a distinction that he made between saying you're sorry and asking forgiveness. Yes. Uh, I think he used the illustration of his family. He said, when one of my kids throws a toy across the room and it knocks the other kid on the head, (laughs) he says, we teach them to go and say, sorry, you got hurt, have some sorrow for him. 
But if their intent was not to hit them on the head, you don't seek forgiveness. No sin has occurred. Yeah, no now, sin. now, if you threw that toy with a desire to harm your sibling, you go say sorry and you seek forgiveness because yeah. you have sinned against them. And he said, it's the same way here. I did not intend to harm you. That wasn't my goal. Um, I should not seek forgiveness. That would be, in fact, unjust. And, and you can even in that say, I could have done it better. It still doesn't rise to sin. Um, I actually learned that in a weird way as a police officer when I was in training. A guy was angry, and he drove his car into another person's car and struck it. And so we were on our way, and my training officer um, said, okay, so go ahead and get the forms ready for this. And so I pulled out an accident form, and he's like, what form did you get? And I told him, and he's like, why'd you get that? And I'm thinking, I looked at him, I'm like, because it was a motor vehicle accident. He says, this was an accident. He did that on purpose. He said, this is a crime. And and it, I, I never forgot it because it, it spoke to exactly what you're saying. You go through an intersection accidentally and you strike a car, that's an accident. Uh, you can say, sorry, we'll work it out. But when you intentionally run your car into another person's car, you actually committed a crime, and now it's a whole different ball of wax. And I'm like, I'm going to keep that one in my brain. Because we do the same thing. We teach that in our home. I teach that to everyone in premarital, learning to seek forgiveness. If you sinned, name the sin, say what you did, what you should have done, and then say, please forgive me. Mm -hmm. um, but if it's an accident... And, and marriages are filled with accidents, right? Yeah. Uh, well, with, with this issue in particular, I, I did. I was listening to those episodes uh, from Roy's, and I sent them to Bruce and Jared, elders at my church now. And I just said, I'm once again reminded where anytime this stuff enters into the church, it inevitably fractures it. It. I mean, they're going through. It's such a tumultuous time at that church right now. Hmm. Yeah, and, a CRT is strong. There's a huge yes. contingent of people. And I think Piper actually exacerbated that in his effort to have racial reconciliation. I think that he went beyond the bounds of what Scripture actually is calling. And so he created an environment that he then stepped away from. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, that's my opinion. My, As I was listening to it, I, I just jotted down. I said the fundamental issue here is I think what we're seeing in the broader culture mm -hmm. um, uh, or well, in broader evangelicalism, which is something that I think is being adopted from the broader culture, which is just an increasing chafing against any figure or institution of authority. Yes, yes, yep. yes. Um, So I, I also think we live in a veritable culture of victimism right now, um, where any statement or any decision that's done from a position of authority is increasingly perceived de facto as abusive, just because it has authority with it. Um, and so the cost is incredible division within churches. And I was just thinking on it, on the fact that I do think that a lot of pastors are going to have to make decisions sooner rather than later. Um, or they're going to end up becoming a paper pastor where you're a pastor on, in word only, but the moment you speak from authority, you're going to be accused of something. And I have, you know, I have a little doubt more and more congregants are going to start making accusations against the leadership of their churches um, because they were made to feel bad, even though they weren't sinned against. And I think more more of that's going to be coming out. Um, I thought about Hebrews 13, 7, 
where, you know, obey your leaders, submit to them, why they keep watch over your souls. As those who will have to give an account, let them do this with joy, not with grief, for that's unprofitable to you. And I think many have ignored that final clause, which gives the reason. For <laughs> which is the whole point of his <laughs> yeah. command, obey your leaders and submit to them. It's profitable for you. But um, now if, if, you, if, if a pastor, because he's in a position of authority, anything he says is viewed as suspect, you're putting yourself and your soul in a very dangerous place. Now, you're not saying, though, that we blindly just follow our leadership no, just no hold them to a what. biblical standard. Yeah. But but don't define biblical standard as the culture standard. And and I think that's what's happening. There's that subtle shift that's taken place. And yeah. I think the undiscerning mind won't see it. And now you place impossible expectations and unbiblical expectations on your leadership. What do you think? I would agree with that. I mean I, I think of Samuel Say, so he he did an article a while back when um Basically, all the social justice stuff was coming to a head back in June, July of last year. Is this slow to write guy? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, very sharp Up guy. Up in Canada. Yeah. Yep. Incredibly sharp guy. Um, but he wrote something because he comes from Ghana, and he his whole premise was that you don't want mob justice because mob justice ends in literally the society just grabbing whoever they think is a criminal, and they just beat the snot out of them, and then light them on fire. And that's kids, how it works in Africa. That's how Literally. it works. Literally. Yep. Guilty till proven innocent. And and that's what we're seeing on American soil. And we're not seeing it to that extent, obviously. Like, you're not worrying about that happening in the streets. But the whole premise behind, you know, the cry for justice now is built around that idea of mob justice being accomplished. But none of these guys have a clue as to what justice actually is. And so you're right, right? They're, they're heaping up unbiblical expectations on... Uh, pastors, elders, professors, whoever you want to be at, even the courts of law now, where if they don't agree with how you're feeling about the outcome, you know, rather, despite all of the facts of the actual case, if you don't agree with how they're feeling, then you're automatically wrong and suspect. Uh, all your motives come from a dark place, and all you're doing is either kind of perpetuating like that, uh, I mean, it's a buzz line now, but that like white heteronormative patriarchal thinking. Um, and I see a lot of that just happening in the broader church right now, where people are, they're globbing on to that and saying, you know, if there's any charge of impropriety or whatever, it's, you know, feelings first rather than facts, rather than gathering what actually happened and making a judicial decision on it. It's more, well, I was offended by this. And yeah. Well, and, and intersectionality yep. has taught us that the one in the structurally weaker position is right. Yep. Yep. Until and you can't other. say otherwise because you do not empathize. You do not share in those intersections of their uh, victimology. Right. I one one other thing because I know you have to go uh, pray over our. Uh, we have a, a classical school here, and you've been asked to pray over them, and it's coming time. Um, so just sneak out when you have yeah. to. Um, a lesson I learned early on as a pastor here is you can't, you have to have a standard. Uh, hopefully it's a biblical standard. But there, there it will come a point where you'll have a qualitative difference of opinion on something and of, of how the church is going to run or which direction the church is going to go. And when that happens, um, you, you try to resolve it. You try to come to 
one mind. Let's just say you and I, and 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 ultimately, you really let's, let's just put on you that you really want to be a seeker sensitive type of church. You really have that passion, and we're like, that's not how we're going to do church here. And now you start to make accusations, and I get pushed back, and it it can get very ugly. At some point, one of us has to give. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't just be all things. And I think that that, I think the best thing for the peop, the people who resigned is that they resigned because if they are going to go against the majority of the elders and the elders, I gave, I guess, gave real pushback on that racial harmony report. It was a big report. And, and the pushback was, no, this is CRT. This is social justice. We're not, we're not pushing this in our church. And, and right away, everyone said, see, see, these are white, Mm-hmm. Uh, white male patriarchal, yep. uh, and we're just seeing it play out. They don't want us to be racially harmonized. And it's like you don't even know what you mean by racial harmony because you're trying to define it in an unbiblical framework. And so, at some point, either the elders all need to respond, uh, resign, and leave, or these people probably need to re- leave. And I, that's what they've done. They've left. And if Julie Royce was not interviewing them and stirring it up, I think that. This would resolve itself. Uh, it will be unpleasant. It's a shaking, mm-hmm. if you will, of of a of a large church, and it's sad. But um, give it time. If if there's and and the people who have these different convections will ultimately show uh, whether it was good or bad. I, I'm thinking of Gamaliel in Acts. Everything is Acts because I'm preaching from it. But you know, he he calmed the Sanhedrin down by saying, "Look, if this new group, the church." is of God. There's nothing we can do to stop it. And if it's not of God, it will die out. Um, and I think that in many ways, that would be the best thing. If Julie Royce would stop shoving these things into her face, uh, as if anyone listening to her report um, can do anything to help Bethlehem, that it falls upon the elders. And and if anything, any of you got have gotten caught up in this, what I would say is, Stop talking about it and really just pray for that church. Pray for the elders um, to be wise because this is where it's very painful. This is when, well, how, how you quote it, um, your leaders are trying to lead you, but they're doing it now with grief. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are going to be hurt with that because God, God will make it unprofitable for those who make it difficult uh, to lead a church. So I think it's just an unfortunate. I hope they weathered the storm. I think they'll be better off, yeah. um, but time will tell. Yep. So this insider movement, that's another one. Do you know much about it? No. So I'm thinking about talking to John will find this out when he hears this podcast. I'm thinking about seeing if I can uh, fly up a man. I, I, I'd like the church to consider supporting him. Um, his name is Aaron, Sh- I hope I pronounce this right, Shyrock. He's a uh, missionary out of Grace Community Church, a master seminary graduate. But he is a translator and a Bible translator. He's right now in Chad. And he's got a real concern over what's going on in the Muslim communities about how they're tran- uh, a new movement called the insider movement um, and how it's affecting the translations. And there's several translations where they're literally taking Muslim statements and they're translating the Hebrew or the Greek into a Muslim statement. 
uh, literally, well, like a Muslim would say the exact same words. And they're choosing to word, use the word Allah, not as a generic thaos like God mm-hmm. or Elohim or something like that, but for the name of Yahweh. And, and so where Yahweh should be translated as Yahweh, they have chosen to translate it as uh, Allah. And, and so there's this whole movement called Insider Movement. I think he could do a much better job. I thought it'd be a fun interview if we... Yeah, if he did come up and just have him explain because he's much smarter. <laughs> um, but it's it's the idea that there are many who claim they're Christians, but they're staying within Islam. They're still going to the mosque. They're still doing the prayers. They're doing everything. And they're claiming to faithfully follow Christ in it. And I'm not I'm not so sure you can do that. Just like, uh, like privately in their own hearts? Well, they're... no. It's like they're Christianizing Islam. And so they're maintaining a lot of those doctrines and statements. And it's like, it's either true or false. It would be kind of like a guy trained, I don't know if this would be a valid, but I'd have to ask him. But the sense I get is, if you were a Roman Catholic, especially if you're a Roman Catholic priest, and you came to saving faith, could you stay right. in the Catholic Church? Could you still say that this is now his body, literally? Um, or would you say that a child baptized because I did that right, that he is now a child of God? I mean, I, I don't think you can do it. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, it's it's actually an intriguing, um, intriguing movement people may not know about, but it's a huge issue in the Bible translation world. Wycliffe is one of the leaders yeah. of this. They, they're doing a lot of weird um, – contextualization that really bugs me. Yeah, it's... Yeah. And so you're, you know, on one level, you're like, wow, we need the Bible translating their language, but then you got translators who are not faithfully translating it into their language. They're contextualizing it. Right. Yeah. I, I wouldn't have a problem... So it comes down to translation theory, I guess. Yeah. Um, but... I wouldn't have a problem them translating Allah if it was in reference to that just generic word of God. And Aaron says the same thing. He says, I agree. Yeah. When it comes to Yahweh, though, that, that is a a word of God's unique identity. Yeah, that's his name. He is the God, he is the God of the God of creation in scripture. And he gave us his personal name, Yahweh, which means something to the effect of he is. Yes. Um, it's the eternal name, if you will. Uh, and so there's much identity wrapped up in that, and it's like I don't I don't know how you can justify translating it other than Yahweh. Um, meaning, I agree. I, so that would be interesting conversation. And yeah, I thought it might turn into like a couple of uh, interviewed because you know there's all kinds of nuances and complexities. Oh yeah. and, so. and and again, you get all excited. Oh, hey, they they're starting a translation of to this tribe, and but it's like. We're assuming it's a good translation. You and I run into that all the time mm-hmm. when we're overseas, and then we find out that the translation that they're using is a really poor translation of that text. And here we're trying to make a theological point, and we can't because their text doesn't even say it. You're like, <laughs> anyhow. Yes. Uh, okay. Something that's in my mind. Um, I. I it's the shaking of the visible church. Um, do you guys know what I mean by the shaking? Yeah, uh, the, the 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 wheat and the chaff oh. of, of those. Uh, um, yeah. Well, I like that you have visible church. Yeah, the visible uh, church. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
those who claim to be part of that church. So do you think do you think the church in America is undergoing that, or in the North America maybe add Canada to that? Oh, hundred yeah, percent. Yeah, I would say yes. Okay, how? So, I mean, I don't know how you could look at everything that's happened over the last. I mean, even 15 to 20 years, but I'd say especially the last two years where, I mean, people have been drawing all sorts of hard lines on on issues that um, they touch directly on the gospel, right? And so it's not like these are ancillary issues as if we're going to disagree on baptism or we're going to disagree on um, how exactly complementarianism fleshes itself, out, fleshes itself out, even in the broadly speaking terms like egalitarianism and complementarianism. I mean, we now have issues that are directly impacting what we believe about salvation, what we believe about what that salvation accomplishes accomplishes in terms of unity within the church. Um, but we're also seeing people cowtail on all sorts of different social issues that they're not small issues, right? So you have, as people are leaning more progressively towards the left on issues, they're conceding on sexual morality. They're conceding on issues of abortion. Um, I mean, these are not small things. And so I, I just don't see how you can look at all that and think that there's not a winnowing happening. Mm-hmm. On both sides. Yes. Um, my, my, it, it's also that um, that shaking is happening on that far right conservative yep. side as well. Yes, I think it's happening both ways. Yes. That's what I was going to say. I think my trepidation in the whole thing is that we're going to see, you know, perhaps some people push far right, but do so without Christ. So they'll embrace the biblical teaching on sexual ethics or abortion and stuff like that, and yet they'll reject Christ as Lord. Mm-hmm. Which I think that's where evangelicalism has been for at least 30 years. Yeah. See, I, I think that what's happened um, is until these crises um, – like just in our own local area of Kenosha, Wisconsin, when we had the Kenosha riots and uh, Jacob Late was shot, and it really shook the church because there were a lot of churches where everyone had a bunch of social ideas that were not, I think, necessarily theologically developed, both conservatively and and more progressive. Um, but we didn't talk about those things. So we were just preaching a word and, and, and all that came out. But then you got our city is literally burning and uh, with the George Floyd stuff and the BLM riots and all of the other things, it, it forced it and it shook the church. And so somebody starts to say, you know, those police officers were evil. They're wrong. They're this or that. Um, and then others pushing back and saying, no, those guys were evil. Um, it shook the church, and all of a sudden you're looking and you're like, I don't even know if I can stay here. This entire the church all of a sudden is moving in a direction that I can't be. Actually, they never were. They're not moving. Now it's just they're being forced it's to. coming to the surface. Yeah, yeah. that we have to commit. Um, was this evil or not? Um, I'm going to read something. A guy named Don Green. He's a pastor in uh, Colorado. You know who he is? Yeah, I like him. And he is um, – he used to be on staff for many, many years with Grace to You, 
and he, he uh, was at the found, I think it's a founders conference, but he said these words and somebody transcribed them and kicked them out onto the web right away. He, he writes this, he says, over the past several decades, the spiritual equivalent of an F5 tornado has blown through the church and has left behind incalculable carnage on the church. The charismatic movement has diluted millions and undermined the principle of sola scriptura. The prosperity gospel has taught people to, selfish, to be selfish and to set their minds on earthly things. The pernicious influence of moralistic therapeutic deism has conditioned men and women throughout the church to think that God simply wants to help them in their problems and for all of us to be nice with each other and simply get along as a fulfillment of the existence of deity. You can go further. Since the 1980s, the Willow Creek and Rick Warren seeker-sensitive model of ministry has conditioned others in the church to expect the local church to provide a soothing place of entertainment and inspirational messages with a healthy dose of lighthearted laughter mixed in with the services, not to mention the need for age-appropriate programs specific to each individual's area of interest. Do I need to go on? More recently, the disastrous MLK 50 conference from the Gospel Coalition in 2018 blew open the door to race baiting and the so-called social justice gospel in the church. Last year, the Southern Baptist Convention elected a known plagiarist, bam, (laughs) to be its president, and then leadership circled the wagons around him as many called for his resignation, but none of those coming from the leadership of the Southern Baptist seminaries. That's brutal. Um, then, to add to all of that, there is a steady stream of men who disqualify themselves from ministry on moral grounds, including those that would be far more sympathetic to our theology than anyone that I have mentioned so far. To go further, in the meantime, 1.25 billion, with a B, Roma Catholics live in darkness, fear, and satanic blindness, and consider themselves to be Christians. And all of that is without considering the increased hostility that we are staring down the barrel of a gun or the gun from governments that do not stay in their proper sphere. You look at that, you try to take that in mentally, and you see nothing but the massive widespread rubble of it all and ask, where do you even begin to address that? Where do you even begin? This is a widespread spiritual catastrophe that no one church, no one conference, no one pastor, no one book can begin to repair. It certainly cannot be salvaged by so-called Christian leaders acting like Fox News commentators on social media or carnal men who mix the Bible with their love of cigars and scotch. What are we going to do? And bam, (laughs) we say as we're smoking our cigars in here. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, but I, I like he's a straight shooter. You never have to ask him. He's As he says, I'm old enough that I can go through the airport with sneakers, a suit, and a baseball cap and not care what anyone thinks of me. Um, and But I think that's that shaking. And I, I, I think it's a scary time for a lot of people because institutions like Bethlehem Baptist that we just talked about, that they felt were strong and stable and movable are being shook. And people are planting their flags. Um, the gospel plus right. CRT, the gospel plus Trump, the gospel plus, plus. And it's like, I think when it's all done, um, the church, the true church will be better off. Well, th- you're seeing uh, at a 
at large scale level, just the nature of what a trial is supposed to do in the individual. Hmm. Um, I, my perspective has changed now having pastored for a little while um, in that you, the weird thing about being in a pastoral position is people at church, they know when certain other people at church are going through a difficult time or a trial or a hardship hits their life and your heart breaks for them. Mm-hmm. When you're a pastor, you know all of them. <laughs> yeah. And you're aware, wow, we're like in a season of trial as yeah. a church. Um, a couple of years ago, a few years ago, I would have I've been like, oh, this is a scary time and I hope our church makes it and we get through it. And But then you actually see the fruit of all that and you're like, wow. Um, now I would, I think our church is in one again, our little church. And um, my prayers are changing because it's not, well, we just need to meet all the needs and we need to care for these people and help them feel better. I, I get us, I, I, my perspective, I hope has matured a little bit in that, yes, there's trials happening, but I also know what this is supposed to produce. And you know that theologically, but then when you walk through it, you begin to now know it, especially from a, just a level of leadership where you're seeing it in real lives and real families and then broadly in your entire church. Um, but what's produced is that, that refined gold, if you will, like yes. Peter talks about, yes. yeah. of you think you got something and then it's, right, it's smelted down to that yep. little <laughs> nugget of gold, but now it's pure. And in, in a similar way, I, I see that as maybe happening in the broader church of everything that was called Christianity is just starting to smelt away. And Christ loves his church and he's good to bring trials to it so that it will become pure and refined and um, what he has intended it for it to be. And so I, I don't view it as, I mean, it, it's not like I'm looking forward to it, but in another sense, I am. I know. I know what you yep. mean by that. And. You know, so I'll give an illustration. I've been thinking along those lines. Um, in World War II, before Germany attacked England, England was filled with all kinds of views about what to do. Is are we going to go to war? Or not. We had Neville Chamberlain. You had Winston Churchill saying very different things, and the but the people were very unsteady. They were feared, filled with fear because nothing happened yet. It's just the potential of it. And I think that's what we're dealing with here is technically nothing really has happened to the church in the way of oppression or persecution. Um, but we're seeing it. We're seeing the we're seeing friends no longer be friends. We're seeing churches crumble and and shatter and everything else. And and this is gonna happen and what's gonna happen. Um, but once World War II hit England or Britain, or whatever is the right way, the UK. Um, and now they were in it. Uh, it became very simple. You know, we, we have a common enemy and we need to deal with it. And I think that's what will happen in a sense. I don't know if I'm making sense, but with the church, right now it's a scary time because it's, there's so many questions. What will resolve this? What will fix this? What, how can we get along again? How, where, where do we bring peace? I don't think we're going to. I think it's going to shake and shake. And eventually... Um, Oppression from the government and the society will become such that the separation will be very clear. Um, the true church will, they won't be happy, it won't be fun, but it will be, there'll be a contentment because it's, again, you can live your whole life afraid of getting cancer, right? Um, and, and be filled with angst and uncertainty. But once you get cancer, 
<laughs> okay, uh, now I'm in. You got to walk yeah, through it. Yeah, now I got to go through it. I got to deal with it. And I think that's what will happen is you, you'll know who are the real pastors and you'll know who are the real believers because they will stand firm. Uh, we're, we're, I think we've done enough for today, um, but you know, there's there's guys I want to talk about who have denied the faith now, and um, and they were these one guy. His name was uh, his uh, song. I don't know what he's called. Fanatic, um, and it's a uh, he was an apologist and a, a rapper, and he just came out uh, for thirty years. And he just came out and says, I'm not a Christian anymore. And it's like, what happened? And this is happening right and left. Yeah. And you know, when you have a guy like a Mark Driscoll who can be ranting about Calvinism and how great it is, and then now he's got his new church mocking the Calvinists as daddy issue guys, um, something's there broken, deep, systematic, uh, systemically broken, much worse than what they're talking about with racism and whatnot. And I, I think that... We're undergoing. I I would tell people this is where you're going to have to come down to what do you believe, and and the only antidote is going to be an unadulterated preaching of the Word of God, Um, not to retain and not to entertain and not to sell books or build a brand, but just simply getting up every single week and opening the Bible and telling the people, "Thus saith the Lord," and and now faithfully uh, proclaim it. That's my thoughts. Any thoughts on what I just said? Yeah, I think it's going to be, I mean, again, it's not something I, I'm looking forward to in one sense, but in another I am. And it's, I think it'll be a, a very sweet time. And what I mean by that is you're going to see people come alongside each other in ways they just never have, right? There's there's that old video from uh, China where they're just gathered around and all of a sudden this big box shows up out of nowhere. And inside of the box there's thousands of Bibles that are just being pulled out and handed, and they're just, they're weeping. Yeah. They're so joyful, and it, t- it makes me tear up every time. But it's a sweet thing because at, at the base of it is Christians that are, uh, they know the treasure they have in the Word, and I think you can only really appreciate that. For one, if you have that non-negotiable quality or commitment that you talked about in your last sermon, but yeah. for two, when everything else goes away and that's all you have left— you really lean in if you're a genuine Christian. You've got nowhere else to go. I think of Peter, right? Um, he just turns to Christ <laughs> and he says, Lord, well, where else would we go? And my hope is that we'll see people endure and that that's, that's what their constant heartbeat will be is, you know, it's, it's back to the simple things of the Christian faith, back to the word, back to the community of the local church, back to the, the plain ordinary uh, ordinances, if you will, baptism, Lord's Supper, all those ordinary things that are, uh, if you will, if you can cut everything else out of the church, that's the fundamentals, right? And so I think if if persecution comes or if those hard times come, um, there'll be a sweetness there because people will appreciate the ordinary means of, I don't know, I don't want to call it the ordinary means of grace, but really that's, that's what it is, right? Yeah, yeah. I agree with you. So... We hope this has been interesting to you or intriguing. Oh, you're uh, cutting this off? Yeah. <laughs> I, I just said we're out of time. Leave me I alone. Don't. Shut up. Um, I'm the old guy. My bladder's ready to burst. Okay. That's just now they know. Okay. Well, now you may know. end it. All right. So, but if you have any comments on this stuff, uh, send it to us. Um, we, we just recently found out that you can comment via and send us comments if you use. Um, 
as you listen to the uh, Faith and Fable, I, we just discovered an inbox <laughs> that we didn't know about because <laughs> we're socially inept. Um, and so some of you have, have made some comments and, and asked some questions. We, we please, we're sorry. Uh, don't forget, we're not going to seek your forgiveness because we didn't willfully ignore you. But, <laughs> but we are very sorry. We didn't notice. And so we're going to be getting to those. And But do let us know that you're listening. Uh, give us your thoughts, even if you don't like what we said. But I hope this was helpful. It gives you a glimpse into at least how we're thinking about stuff that's coming across the screen and, and into our ears from other people. Uh, continue to like, share, rate us if you would. It's always helpful. Um, and then tell a friend. Mm-hmm.